Welcome to episode 13 of Ed's Not Dead. I'm Robbie Dodd, one of your co-hosts, and I am joined by Mr. C.H. Siddons. I'm here again. You took me skiing and it rained all weekend. Your thighs must be killing you. Uh, and Mr. Peter Crable, of course. Hey, I declined the invite, so it's you not did. a big deal. Sorry. <laughs> we didn't want your two children under three with us anyway. <laughs> Pre- pregnant wife who can't ski. <laughs> Sounds like a great time. <laughs> we would have loved to have the Cravels with us. We had a good time. We can talk about our trip to Canaan Valley later. Canaan. Canaan. All right. You can find Mr. Siddons at CH Siddons on Twitter and at Peter Crable. Me at RW Dodd. And what's the show, Mr. Siddons? It's not dead, PC. All right. All right, folks. It's great to have you back. We have a big show tonight. Mr. Krabs is going to be leading us through all things four-day week in a suburban school district outside Colorado. That's going go. to be interesting. The old four-day four work week. Yep, the future. We've been getting there for some time. Mm-hmm. Yep, because teachers need more planning time. Um, we do. I was we not, do. I was not being facetious. Watch we yourself. Do. Okay. Um, and big guest tonight. We are v- huge. Very stoked. Mr. Rick Wormley is going to be on Ed's Not Dead. Casey, great job. So excited to have him. You did a serious solid for the show and booking, Mr. Wormley. He is a very well-known author, speaker on all things middle-level education. Really, I guess, Casey, at this point, all things education, right? His, his I'd ex- say so. His expert, the depth and breadth of his expertise is extensive. Yes. But we're really going to dive in, uh, hopefully tonight, with Rick on standards-based grading and differentiation in secondary education. And I think beliefs. Beliefs. That's going to be – That's we're going to hit that hard. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, so let's uh, jump into show feedback. All right. All right, show feedback. Mr. Sids, what do you have for us in show feedback? Oh, I have so much feedback to okay. share. All right. Uh, I thought you'd, you'd, you'd bring up some great pieces from Twitter that you have been paying attention to very closely. Don't you print out all the tweets? I do, yeah. Because you're from okay, a different just, generation. You, uh, Mr. S- uh, Mr. Crable's given us the sign. I know. So tell, us the, tell us the feedback that you okay. wrote down okay. and stop putting me on the spot. <laughs> you don't like it when I just go to you without it's, you being It's prepared. ridiculous. Okay. All right. So uh, show feedback. Friend of the show, Beth Thomas, who we love and appreciate her listening, said that we are all hilarious and wicked smart at the same time. That is the first one, first time anybody's accused Ed's not dead of being wicked smart, <laughs> wicked smart, or anybody in this room. Yep, yep. Um, and another friend of the show, Francis Frost, who we appreciate chiming in. We got to plug Francis her books. She is a well-known author, uh, and she's a big fan of the show. However, she did say that she we we had her screaming when we were talking about the blue high school situation. And I think her statement was we were missing the boat. Cause the question is, are they learning? Um, and how are they learning? Are they learning enough? So yep. I don't yep. think, I think Francis took exception with, it was all about Mr. Crable's theory though. It had nothing to do <laughs> with you and me. Casey. That's true. Yes. We got to get her on the I, show. I was on her side. I think. I know so. you were. Cause I said they had to come to school just to sit there. Yeah. yeah. All right. And then of course, Mr. Kaz, a uh, friend of the show, Mr. Kaz, he has requested that we do an episode, boys, on uh, the pros and cons of homework, um, which is always a, a a hot button issue. It's a good one. Yeah. I'd like to do it, actually. I would, too. I yeah. think it is probably the most over-discussed issue in education. Probably. But it's... Well, but it, we can discuss it. affects it. everyone that has a kid because they come home and have to do homework. It's it true. Does. Yep. Yep. I, I... Get rid of it. <laughs> Get rid of homework? Yep. Okay. All right. Um, any other any other uh, comments on the show? Oh, friend of the show, Dave Flanagan, on Facebook posted a meme <laughs> of the of the Philadelphia Eagles um, winning. And are you showing that to him right now? No, uh, no. Keep going. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Put your phone down. No, I have another show feedback from my dad. Okay, Mr. Crable was wrong about his prediction. Mr. Crabs, you want to take responsibility for your pick of the Pats for the Super Bowl? Yeah. I was right about everything else, so <laughs> win some, lose some, yeah. whatever. Tom Brady threw for over 500 yards. He played very nicely. He did. But and then the he Eagles. put on his man Uggs at the end. And oh, he did. Away. Yep. So that's fine. Congratulations to all those Eagles fans and any listeners in Philadelphia. We're, we're happy for you. My dad literally just texted me and said, and said 
Crable picked the losers to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, he's listening. I, I was thanks, li- Dad. He's, he's like listening live. So he now. Is. I don't understand <laughs> I know. how that works. That is actually kind of creepy. Yeah. Isn't it? How does he know? I was telling a group of people tonight that we were going to be on tonight. Um, and I guess I made it sound like that we were going to be on live and they kept asking me what time we were going to be on. Well, we do need to do, I, is, we were just saying that, a Facebook what? live um, stream. Yes, we do. Yeah. I've yeah. actually downloaded the app. The Facebook app. Oh. All right. Yeah. Mr. Crable, last, Next, yeah. last update. Uh, show website. Show website. Yeah. Edsnotdead.com. Um, I think it's mostly up and running at this point. And if, if, yeah, if Andrew Vines could get his act together and develop it faster, <laughs> our, our web no, designer, no, no, come on, no. Andrew, he's our tech guy. He is our tech guy. Tech guy. Um, but yeah, it looks great. That's not dead.com. Um, it's obviously got access to all the podcasts. It has the first blog link that it, it looks really guy, fancy. This guy right here wrote that would be me. I'm That's pointing true. Myself. You're pointing to yourself. And I think we teased it before, but it's called Curriculum is Not the Answer. Yeah, okay. So, so it's not. Think, right. Well, if you think that, you're wrong. And it's under 300 words. Uh, I don't think so. Okay. No. It's 500 like, words. It's like, eh, it's like six. Okay. It's three paragraphs. It's very easy to read. Share it with your children. They'll, <laughs> they'll, they'll love it. Bad they'll totally stories. love it. But yeah, anyway, check it out um, and just let us know what you think. Because it does look pretty cool and ends us lends us the air of respectability. So. Hell yeah. All right. So before we interview Rick Wormley uh, and get into all things standard-based standard base grading, Mr. Krabs, you found a very interesting article. I did. Um, about uh, – I don't know if I would call it innovative. It seems to be yeah. based on the article more practical or pragmatic approach yes. to – um, the school day or the school year. So a system outside of Denver is going to a four-day week. Tell us about it. So Brighton, Colorado, a fast-growing suburb outside of Denver, um, is decided to go to a four-day week. So the practicalities of it, it will be Tuesday to Friday with some degrees of professional development type Mondays. It sounds like once a month professional development Mondays. Um and there's a couple reasons for this. I think primarily the reason is that they have a pretty massive funding shortfall. Um, so it seems that they're fast growing, um, more and more students. It's about 37% free and reduced meals. So several times, about 16 times since 2000, they've had to ask the people of Good Brighton for more money. So a mill levy, which Robbie and I looked up what it is. <laughs> Robbie knew what it was. Robbie knew what it was. Sorry. Uh, Mr. Mr. Sins, what is a mill? It's a, and, it's a it's a fraction of how much taxes are going to go up. Oh, property taxes. Yeah. Sins, what's it short for? That's crazy. Um, I don't know, but they do it in Pennsylvania. They do. PA, yeah. PA is a big mill place. Yeah. Millage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I millage. think it's millage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so anyway. Said that. Anyway, go ahead. So talk. anyway, they, they keep asking people for money in about half the time. Um, the good taxpayers say no thank you or they don't approve a bond system so anyway the school system didn't have enough money so this will save them um, about a million dollars they're also anticipating that it's going to increase teacher retention although they already had the best teacher retention rate in all of colorado so i guess only you can still get better but um, they think that they're going to do even better there attract new new hires uh the superintendent of this system chris fiedler says that teachers will now have a more, quote, professional schedule. Most professionals I know work four days a week or sometimes <laughs> even three. Oh. Yes. And can- no, no one works five. No, why would you work five when you could work four or three? <laughs> That's ridiculous. true. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's true. Ridiculous. And Kathy Ryball, president of the Brighton Education Association, says, and I quote, teachers are already working a long day. This gives them more time for planning, but also to spend with our families. Mind you, they won't actually be working on the Mondays. Anyway, <laughs> what do we think about this? So there's a couple different issues here. There's the funding issue. There's a saving of money. Um, there is some anecdotal evidence that kids who have four-day weeks actually don't do any worse. There's been some light studies, I believe, by Georgia State University that says kids actually don't do any worse. They do about the same as a five-day week. So what do you think? Can I four, just, four day week? Can I just go back and say the the tax referendum that they rejected was roughly seventy three dollars for every 
hundred K of home value. So the average taxpayer's bill would have gone up about $300 a month, which is not chump change. Right. And I think in and of itself, probably that number, it may look paltry, but I think every year, the fact that it's happening every year or multiple times a year, just so often over the last 18 years, right. you know, it's just, yeah. Fiedler, Fiedler said, quote, that they've heard the community loud and clear. Yes. So we I don't guess. want to give you more money. Yeah. So that was that was pretty clear. What what do you what do you have to say, CH? They. I was just reading an article from. They were talking about Apache Junction High School in uh, Arizona. They went to the four day school week, and interesting. They've seen some positive aspects of it. Absences are down. Uh, the Friday slump. They call it the Friday slump. Is is when students drag through the day and teachers sometimes call off. It's not there. It doesn't. It's not there anymore. Now it's just the Thursday slump. <laughs> hey. Anyway, um, it. so it seems like the four day, the four days that are there certainly are tightly packed in. Um, but I don't know. I mean, in the day. Sorry, the day would be extended. I think about forty minutes. Yeah, for elementary kids. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, uh, okay. So let's. It doesn't seem like they're cutting teacher salaries. No, they're not. They're maintaining them, which is, I, I would imagine most teachers will continue to plan on that Friday or whatever day they have off. Um, I would imagine a lot of teachers would continue planning. Mon- Mondays. Mon- well, whatever day that they're missing, right? They're going to continue working. Um, Why? Because, <laughs> Why would you assume well, that? Well, well, Because most teachers that? do. Every oh. Saturday, oh yes, every Saturday and Sunday. Listen, every Mr. Crable, Mr. Going, Crable, not all teachers, not very few teachers are like you. Where they can cut it off. You and Robbie, you're oh, walking in, <laughs> walking in with the newspaper in your back pocket. With some donuts. With you know. donuts. Yeah, with the chocolate donut. I was a teacher's assistant at that time. I, uh, I was not that's a teacher. Great. That's great. You were a really good one. I was a really good one. Um, anyway. I wasn't because teachers like you pushed me off the copy machine. <laughs> Anyway, go ahead. What were you making copies of? I, I think of dittos. I was making, You're making dittos. 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 Cross, crosswords. Word cross. uh, Yeah, word, word searches. Yes. Uh, Mr. Siddons, really, yes. honestly, you're going to try to tell us that that will be, uh, that that'll be a work day for teachers. Yes. Okay. Find me a teacher that doesn't work when, when there's a snow day. Find me a teacher that doesn't do planning outside of school hours. Didn't you come over to my house on a blizzard of about 2012 or 13? <laughs> it was awesome. And we spent the entire day building a giant man igloo. It was yes. awesome. Yes, you did. It was so good. And then drank beer in it. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, actually, it was scotch. So you got a lot of planning done that day. Uh, that was one <laughs> week of school off. <laughs> That was one five days. Find right. me no seriously, okay. but so find me find so, me a teacher that doesn't grade and plan outside of the school day because they don't have time. They do do that, okay. Yes. And to to say that teachers have too much planning time, I refuse to believe that. And I know that there are some people that say that they have too much time and all this other stuff. I, I just don't think that's accurate. First of all, second of all, if they have that extra day off and they're getting paid the same, I guarantee that most teachers will use that day to uh, most of those days, not to go on three-day weekend skiing and stuff like that. Although, you know, they might. I think most of them will use the time to plan. You can get the seven-day, the seven-mountain pass out there in Colorado. You can. You can. 500 bucks. You can. Come on. You can. But most of the year, most of the year, they're going to use it to help their students. Let me ask you a question. Ask me a question. What is the most important work that a teacher does? Instruct and be with children in a positive <laughs> environment. That's good. Ding, yeah. ding, ding, ding. Something along the lines of working with children. So let's think about the children's here for a second. So this actually reduces the amount of time the teachers are working with students and seeing students. And in Finland, it's shown to be a positive impact where they actually don't see the kids as much as we do. Okay. But they're not going to be in Finland that time where they're not with kids. They're planning. Uh, they're planning. And it's pretty collaborative they're yeah. doing lesson study they're 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 differentiating their instruction they're learning from each other mm-hmm. as teachers um this I, is this is not that let let's be honest what i think what, of an issue with the day off you what know, what isn't... what prompted this was not um let's professionalize teaching more it was we don't have the money correct yes. so yep. I, yep. I don't think we should pretend like we're going into this yep. with some that it, the, the pretense that it's we're doing it because it's going to be good for teachers. Absolutely correct. And they, there are some charter schools that actually have a half day or full day off on Wednesdays yeah. where the teachers still go into school and they're planning and grading or working with their departments. Mother's, My kids have that every Friday. 
Mother, oh, yeah? Yeah. mother Selena O'Connor, the mother of a first grader in the district. It just feels like this whole conversation is a smack in the face because the school district didn't get the money they wanted. There has to be another way. Why couldn't the community choose? Why are we letting the community choose that? Uh, it's, a pu- mm. it's a public school system. I know, but, but, but if it means going from five days a week to four days a week where you're getting less services for you know, basically the same amount of money... Um, it just doesn't seem like it's it's appropriate for the common good. What do we think the uh, what do we think the impact on student outcomes would be? That to me, that's the first thing I asked Peter when he shared this with me. I was curious. I mean, is there going to be is there going to be less learning, less time, less learning? I don't know. So you guys kill some time. I'll I'll look that up. Real quick. <laughs> Are you looking that up? What do yeah. you What do you think? I but I, at the end of the day, the article the the reason for the decision is not. Like you said, it's not about the best interest of kids. It's about the best interest of the bottom line. Which is for them to be efficient in this situation. They didn't get the money they need, which I understand. The the community, to your point about the community deciding, in a sense, they did decide because they said no. Yeah. And so the system, their recourse is to say, okay, well, we've got to be more efficient. and, And probably the easiest way to do it is to shave off a day. Utilities will be cheaper. You know, they don't, they don't mm-hmm. have to run buses. Um, teachers are going to make the same, but they can save probably with their with their operating expenses. They can save a lot of money. Yeah, and I think that's to be honest. I think that's valid. I mean, if you don't want to pay, you don't want to pony up. Then yeah, it's not going to look exactly like you thought it was going to look. I think I think it'll be interesting to see how parents react when they have to realize, oh, I have to actually have someone watch my child. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's the big one. That's I mean, going to be for, a jarring. The parent change. of young kids. Yeah, childcare is just mm-hmm. a bear, and how it impacts working professional parents. Yep. But to go back to your point, Robbie. So yeah, the study that I was talking about was in education, finance, and policy, and it found that a four-day school week actually boosted kids' test scores in math, despite the extra hours added to those four four school days to compensate for a three-day weekend. So one yeah. study says boosted scores in math. And this was by researchers from uh, Montana State and. Um, Georgia State. You also get maybe more flexibility of the school day. Maybe they'll add back recess, which you know there's there's enough research that says kids need to to be moving around and they need a more physical activity. Yeah, not not to get too far afield though, but I do think you're from PA. Crable and I were raised in Maryland. Um, you have a lot of small districts within counties in PA. Five hundred one, right? And so they have to um, often come to the public to. Uh, to for a referendum referendum to run three activity buses after school yep. in a small district. We need it for our extracurricular activities. We need uh, five extra teachers for next year. I, I do think it says something about how decentralized our educational systems are in this country. And this system obviously doesn't have the leverage to provide f- a mm-hmm. full array of services. Yeah. And so what what's wrong with governance with the the tax structure that year to year they're they're living at the whims of of the public they can't really rely on some steady steady stream of funding. I think it's a dangerous It's a policy issue, it's a governance issue it's a, to a, me. It's a dangerous situation to be in because if you have a, you have a, we have a large population of people who are baby boomers who are yeah. who don't have, have children in the system, and right? might not even have grandchildren in the system right. and they are there in my hometown I remember there was a representative who was running who was catering to the baby boomer generational vote right. and he would say well it, he's going to come up with a way to exempt them from paying taxes property taxes right. that would go to schools which is a very 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 dangerous situation but if you're living on social security and your savings and you're not working anymore and you're 70 years old with no kids or grandkids in a school system and they come to you and say on average your taxes are going to go up $300 this year that is a big big deal that's, yeah. a, that's a bit of a bummer yeah, yeah. Um, and so I just think it gets to a broad issue of of state funding mechanisms how federal how, government funding as well yeah absolutely so um so we, we went a little off track there but all right so this this year in season one we have followed the proposal for a no graded school in kansas right yes That's, and now the four-day school week well, not well, ungraded. Or Un, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> disgraded. When you don't use the right term, yeah, you don't. You're not in a grade. You're not no graded. graded. 
<laughs> Rick Wormley's going to talk about no graded, which is uh, they and, still get grades and they're not graded. In other Kansas, in other Kansas news, there's oh. three people who are running for governor, and they're all the age of 16 or 17. <laughs> oh yeah, because of that, that loophole. Yeah, that loophole in, awesome. the, in the in the candidate system, right? <laughs> and the the state legislators scrambling to say not they're not going to allow it, but the, it's going to go through for this election. Are the kids going to be? Are they going to lean left or right? There's one Democrat who okay. is. Far left. Okay. And there's uh, his buddy who's a Republican (laughs) and another friend of theirs who's libertarian. Nice. Yeah. Okay. And they are shaking in their boots out there. All right. They're (laughs) Kansasian boots. (laughs) All right. On that note, uh, folks, don't go away. When we come back, we're excited to have Rick Wormley on Ed's Not Dead. See you in a minute. Welcome back, folks. We are incredibly excited to have Rick Wormley on the show today. Rick uh, was one of the first nationally board certified teachers in the United States. Rick brings 38 years of teaching experience in math, science, English, phys ed, pretty much every content area. Rick's work has been featured on Good Morning America, National Geographic Magazine, and The Washington Post. He's a frequent contributor to AMLE Magazine. Uh, and Rick is the author of the award-winning book, Meet Me in the Middle, as well as the best-selling books, Day One and Beyond, and his classic, Fair Isn't Always Equal, which is going to be republished, and hopefully he can talk to us about that tonight. Rick lives in Herndon, Virginia with his wife and two children, both of whom are now out of college. Yay, Rick. He accomplished that. Uh, and he's currently working on a new book on shifting the culture of a school for ethical grading practices. Once again, it's great to have Rick on the show tonight. On Ed's Not Dead. Well, Rick, um, all three of us uh, at one time in our career or another were were middle-level educators, worked in middle schools. And um, I'm going to start out, standards-based grading is probably going to be where we spend a lot of our time. But I was curious about how your experience as a teacher, as someone that, that has worked with teachers and principals in the middle grades, how did your experience in, in the middle grades lead you to standards-based grading as kind of a a linchpin of your thinking about what's best for early adolescents in middle schools? Wow, that's a really big question. Um, I think the first place it comes from is knowing very specifically what is developmentally appropriate for 10 to 15-year-olds, which is considered young adolescents. And if you look at all of that research, a lot of which is on the AMLE website, you know, amle.org, right. the uh, Association for Middle-Level Education, They've got a lot of great stuff, and some of that in there is assessment and grading, and it talks about ethical, accurate grading that is evidence-based, criterion-referenced, and you really can't make decisions unless the grade is really accurate. Otherwise, it's a false decision based on a false premise, and you're not instructionally very responsive. So we decided that we'd live up to that promise, that we would kind of close the gap between saying what we do and what we actually do, so our grades would have integrity. Because we realized really, really quickly in middle school, you were building really very real futures uh, that, you know, lives that are functional or dysfunctional. And sometimes the difference can be one dumb percentage point. Yeah. So we decided we needed to dive in and really explore what does it mean to have an accurate grade. And then we found out that when you give a separate report for work habits and character and behavior, mm-hmm. that it actually elevates it on their radar scope. They mm-hmm. care more about it. And what was really cool for us is we found that the kids mature in those character, work habits, self-discipline, meets deadlines, executive function things way faster and for longer when they had a separate radar scope reporting it. So we split the two, and that was the first step going into standards-based grading. Awesome. Thank you. How do you you make sure when you're working with schools and teachers, how do you follow up and make sure that teachers are maintaining high expectations – throughout their practice. I think sometimes when they're ask when you're asking them to change a grading system or to change their thinking about grading, sometimes people I've I heard the quote earlier today, cook the books and and, and sometimes they, they they make false um, grading practices or, or, or something like that. I, I'm not sure if I'm phrasing that correctly, but um, how do you maintain those high expectations? Well, you really don't. Next question. No. <laughs> I'm with you on that. Go ahead. No, just, no. I like that. That's a good no. pass. No, 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 no. I, I got to tell you, there's been an explosion of research on teacher disposition. 
in the past you know eight to ten years. A lot of new books and articles coming out just about that. And what you're talking about is a moral imperative, right? And also you know dealing with teachers and you know do they want to have integrity? Do, what do they think grades really mean? Should they be accurate? Yes. Okay. Good. What does that mean you would do in your class if you weren't a hypocrite? Right. And a lot of times <laughs> teachers say, I think grades should be accurate, but I do this other stuff that makes a grade inaccurate. And you're like, well, <laughs> let's take a look at that. Right. On the other hand, though, you know, I can be intellectual and logical all I want, and it doesn't really change a whole heck of a lot. But if I'm logical and well-reasoned as a colleague or a building leader, that, and I add in the moral imperative, the ethical side, people suddenly are willing to get candid and look at practice and make changes. Like, I don't think it's too weird or teacher over-the-top geekoid goody-goody for a teacher in the middle of a meeting, department meeting, faculty meeting, to say something like, is this the moral thing we do? And some people might roll their eyes like, oh, no, why are you doing that? Just tell me how to clean up the book room and the latest testing protocols. I don't <laughs> want to dive that, that deeply. And that's a problem. So, you know, Todd Whitaker would advise all of us that really the high quality uh, learning that happens in the classroom is based on the high quality people that you hire. So the first thing is you get people who are really cool, really interested in integrity and accurate grades. That's going to be a big deal. Will people, people get tired from time to time and make bad decisions? Yes. But do you have systems set up or at least a culture set up where we're willing to confront our colleagues in whatever nurturing diplomatic way we need to hold them accountable for the very thing they swore to protect and to, and to elevate? Right. Yeah, we can do that too. But it, it does get difficult. And I think that, you know, one of the things a building leader can do is run interference and facilitate and have this accessibility that when the teacher is stressing out and is on that borderline, do I do the wrong thing or do the right thing by the kids in my profession, that I can go to my colleagues or my my principal and say, hey, I'm struggling here. Can you can you offer a lending hand? Right, uh, Rick. I have this. Um... I have this question that always eats at me. I, I went from being an elementary principal to a middle school principal. And one of the primary differences that I saw between the two school levels was the approach of teachers to grades. Um, and, you know, people like Jacqueline Eccles, you know, 30 years ago, were doing research on, on junior high school teachers and middle school teachers emphasis on performance versus more of a mastery growth approach in elementary schools. Can you point to anything in the secondary school slash middle school environment that, that helps teachers for lack of a better word, become more oriented towards performance where they should be more focused on mastery and growth? Well, to be really honest, I think a lot of secondary teachers are primarily trained trained in their subject areas, not necessarily the unique nature of 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds, 18-year-olds, or 13-year-olds. Mm. And that needs to change. And when I go into work with a school district or a school for like multiple years or something, I come in for multiple dates, or I just work with them by email or, or Zoom or Google Hangout or something, one of the first things we do is when we're going to go to standards-based grading is we spend the whole first year merely talking about cognitive science. What is unique about teaching freshmen that's very different than teaching high school seniors, for example, or eighth graders versus fourth graders or fifth mm -hmm. graders or whatever it happens to be. And once teachers understand the developmental nature, the unique developmental nature of the students they serve, they begin almost immediately to see the parallels between that and standards-based grading. Now, this idea that I have to you know, measure your performance. Yeah, that's great. But do I see that as diagnostic, not the final summative declaration of all you are? And do I really empower you for self-efficacy for growth? Yeah. I can do both things, but the goal is that we see assessment, mostly formative, as information, not judgment, not evaluation. And the students need to see that. And if they can't see that, then that's a huge problem. So the answer, I guess, you know, to sum up is that the, the teachers in middle school or high school who don't quite embrace this, that one, they get up to speed on cognitive science, the unique nature of the students they serve, right. but they also study human, uh, how do you cultivate self-efficacy and tenacity right. in morphing insecure humans? And not one bit of research, I've looked for this for decades, not one bit of research says, use your grades and your grading program to teach that stuff. <laughs> So yeah. really, we've we got to go back and really work with schools of teacher ed yeah. on, hey, how about a whole year on motivation, self-efficacy, executive function, all those things, 
And teachers would have such a cornucopia of practical tips on how to get kids to meet deadlines. And I think you're talking about the fact that you're talking about that is is so important because you're talking about teaching the child and not the subject. Yeah. Obviously, the subject is important, but you're t- you're talking about children, whether they're in ninth grade or sixth grade. It doesn't matter. And, and I think. Yeah, and, and, thing, uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. A lot of mi- I'm just going to say a lot of middle and high school teachers find that in a sense, soft skills, and they say, I'm not a counselor or psychologist, so don't bother me with that stuff. Let me just teach my subject. And I kind of look at them in the face, and I, I put my fingers about an inch apart, my, my pointer finger and my thumb, and I say, you're about this close to educational malpractice. Oh, I like I want to use that. <laughs> the reason for that is that 90% of everything that goes into a middle school child's head, young adolescent into regular adolescent, goes to emotional response centers first. Yep. So when they say that to me, what they're expressing to me is, I am uninformed. I need to go back and get teacher training because I'm teaching blind to the (laughs) students I serve. And in this day and age, that's not acceptable when so much is at stake. Right. I mean, Robert Balfons and so many others have proven that the way we interact in the world in our 40s, 50s, and 60s can be traced back to specific experiences we had in young adolescence. You can't leave emotional atmosphere to chance. I am a I am a huge Bob Balfans fan. He he is I, I love that reference. All right, go ahead, Peter. Go ahead. So one of the things that we've talked about a bit here on the show is barriers to change and kind of the 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 barriers to big change um, within school systems. And so I would say that standards based grading for most people is um, a pretty big change. And I'm not even talking necessarily about students and teachers. I'm talking about like the community at large. So. Part of the reason that we've talked about is schools, um, you know, they need to kind of perpetuate what people view as schools as legitimate. And so everybody's kind of gone through the A to E scale. They understand an A is a 90 to 100, et cetera, et cetera. So how do you go about changing the beliefs and kind of getting people to believe in standards-based grading outside of the school system? Because, you know, they might bring home a letter grade that's not the traditional A to E and they don't know what that means. They don't know how to access it. They don't know what exactly their kid is learning. Well, I got to tell you that grades, first and foremost, any book ever written in the last 25 years will say this. Grades, first and foremost, are uh, clear communication, honest, undiluted, absolute clear communication. So anything that would muddy the waters should be stopped or should be you know, revised in some way. So I would expect a school district to pay particular attention to how clear are things coming up, coming home, and can parents feel like they can work with their child, they actually know what's going on with their child's learning much better if they switch to a new grading system. Right. If the switch just makes it murkier, then yeah, the parents are justified in saying, hey, this is not working mm. for us. The second thing is that we decided long ago, and most school districts that are successful do this, they decide they're going to commit to parent education every single year the rest of their career. Not a three to five year parent education cycle and then everybody will be copacetic and on board. No, right. every single year because it's so indoctrinated to do otherwise. And then one of the coolest things you can do is start with common ground. I, I, any kind of controversial cultural shift, you wanna do that. So we say, hey, what do you think grades should represent? And people will say well, how kids are learning and their <laughs> progress, great. Let's take a look at the things that lead to that and the things that take away from that. And we identify those things. And then I have two favorite questions when I work with business leaders, school board members, and parents in the community who are questioning this. I say, first, tell me how you learned your craft. How'd you learn to be a lawyer, an EMT, a pharmacist, a police officer, an architect, a brake mechanic? It really doesn't matter what you do. How'd you learn that? And tiny, tiny down to the minutiae, how'd you do it? And I point out parallels between that and standards-based assessment and grading, and they begin to see, oh, this is much more reflective of how someone becomes competent. For example, you get good at your job because you do it a lot, and somebody critiques you in between early on, and you take that advice, and you're a little bit better the next time, which is the beginning of the conversation on redos and retakes instead of one and done, and, and I just limit you to that one moment of really rather terrible teacher algorithm of teaching. And the second thing I do is I say, how are you evaluated in your career? Tell me about that if you're a computer programmer or whatever happens to be. And quite often they say, well, I have to present evidence of my performance. Right. I might be below plan, on plan, above plan. I'm meeting goals. I'm not meeting goals. And I'm like, dude, 
and do that. <laughs> Look, that's exactly what we're doing in standards-based grading. This is far more preparatory than the old antiquated, I'm going to average you with your earlier incompetence, even though you're completely competent now. <laughs> no job does that can, anywhere. Can I, can I just say that whenever I have those statements from other teachers who talk about uh, not allowing a certain amount of reassessments and this arbitrary grading practices, I, I will pull up YouTube videos, Rick Wormelli uh, YouTube videos, and they're like, oh, I get it. <laughs> I'm like... That's good. Well, you know, here's, the, here's that part of that, what you just described. I find that a lot of teachers are in survival mode. They yeah. don't have a strong background. No, and, that's and right. That's totally okay. But they have this superficial response to it. And when they dive deeper, I mean, to the third or fourth level down, instead of first or second, they totally get it. In fact... Because it I makes more sense a, than the current practices. Oh, yeah. But see, that's the problem. Teachers don't have time to dive deeply. And when right. they do, they're cool. So there's a plug for we need real time for reflection and analysis. I made this decision. It had this particular impact on students. And here's where I'm going to go next in that, which is a lot of the National Board for Professional Teaching Standards work and yep. and uh, PLCs and so on. Having some structure, teacher action research teams, whatever it might be, where we can do the, the deeper diving. All right. So one of the things we love about your work, Rick, is is how student centered it is. Standards based grading is student student centered. The obvious, the other obvious thing that we want to talk about tonight that is also all about kids is differentiation, especially as it relates to middle level and even even high school education. So I I um, all three of us have experience with with trying to make differentiation a focus, um, kind of a a, a go to in a, in a middle level school. Um, I, I do want to kind of set the stage for this question by, by talking about Larry Cuban about 30 years ago, had this theory that he called situationally constrained choice, where he talked about the structures, the schedules in secondary ed, the 47 minute classes, how they really kind of constrain the instructional choices of teachers. It gets to that time, element that you were referencing. So as we pivot to differentiation, how on earth do we help teachers meet the needs of uh, the different needs of kids when they have such constraints placed upon them, especially in secondary ed? Well, the first thing we have to realize is that teachers who are conscientious are going to have a real guilt trip over this because they got into business to actually make a difference. Right. And they are going to they're going to feel it right in their gut, and it's going to keep them awake at night, and they eventually kind of get hardened to it just to survive the day and, and the week. Yep. And that's just pretty darn sad. That's what Cuban so, said, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so the big deal is that we've got to get people to say this. It's totally okay. It's normal. You're still a high-quality professional educator. If you can do differentiation that's really effective 51% of the time or more. In other words, majority of the time you can do it. You can't do it all the time. Yeah. And then you should sleep guilt-free at night. That's the first <laughs> thing we have to, to – well, I guess it's, it's learning you know, personal grace that you can begin to forgive yourself when you can't be completely thoughtful. Well, and, and and I, I, try, I try to insert that. I try to insert that into the coaching that I do with teachers where – I'm not expecting you as a first-year teacher to differentiate every single thing that you do with kids every single day. It's just you have to become proficient in pieces of it at a time. Well, that's the other thing, too, that you're suggesting with that comment that you have to do it like every day all the time. That is a myth that you're exactly right. Some teachers carry. Nobody is asking anybody in middle school or high school to do an IEP for all 185 of their students <laughs> every, every single day. It, it just is physically impossible. And that's the other thing we have to realize, that school as it's set up now actually is against really high-quality learning and teaching. Ouch. And, you know, it's really uh, – it, it, well, it's a function of the uh, Committee of Ten in the <laughs> 1870s to 1920s, yep. the standardized curriculum, the yep. high school, and their yep. big thing was 50-minute class periods. But i got to tell you, in middle school and high school, I've seen plenty of schools where it's 37-minute class periods because parents want their kids taking more courses during the day, right. which really translates to about 22 minutes of direct instruction where the kids are attentive. Boo. Based <laughs> on the coming in, steady down. So, you know, and then we say, well, and then we have the nerve to blame kids when they don't do well in some standardized test at the end of the year, or even a unit test when we're not applying what we know about how to carry things into long-term memory. Mm -hmm. So the testimony for a teacher is what kids carry forward, not what was taught. So we have to be very, very clear that 
teachers are going to have to get animal farm about this stuff. They're going to have to decide, you know, some animals are more equal than others. I'm not talking about kids there. I'm talking about standards. Some of the stuff we teach is literally more leveraging for what's to come. And we've got to decide these are the primary boulders for these I will fight. And this other stuff is just nice to know. But we, I, I can't fit it in because physically school conspires against teaching. So that, that's going to help. And I, I love your comment about you do a little bit at a time. So first of all, you give yourself a three-year window. So the first year, you're trying out like, I'll do flexible grouping for the next four weeks. Right. Okay, that was fun. <laughs> and now I'll try, you know, I'll be responsive. And by the way, a lot of schools with whom I've worked and, and heard about actually call differentiated instruction responsive teaching Ooh. because now we're more mindful of the role it plays. And there's no political fallout because differentiated instruction with Mike Schmoker and others, uh, by the way, uh, uh, I guess for whom I have written an article countering his points, disparaging differentiated instruction called Setting the Pedagogy Straight. I would be glad to send it to anybody. And it's available on the AML lead uh, uh, website. We need, we, we, we need that, Rick, because I actually, when I was a principal, had a teacher bring hand deliver an article by Schmoker to me to debunk yeah. well, my, my, my emphasis on it. Right. Well, uh, Caroline Tomlinson and I wrote both articles in response to him. He's really, he really did not do his homework. Results Now and Focus, awesome books. Boom. September 2010, editorial, uh, and the portions of those two books that talk about differentiation, he knows not what he is discussing. Yes. It's really very frustrating. <laughs> uh, when he talks, he speaks out about it still to this day, even though he's been corrected. And that, I don't, I'm not really sure why he does that. But at any rate, I'll be glad to help people uh, find some language to use to kind of explain that and clarify that if they would like. But the idea that we would see myself or see each other as responsive teachers, like, what do I know about kids? And how did I respond to them to improve their learning over that which otherwise could have been achieved with one size fits all is basically that mindset. And if we see differentiation as a list of recipes in a cookbook, it's going to die. Yeah. It's got to be a disposition. It's 90% mindset yep. that I'm willing to teach so that you learn not just to play gotcha. Yeah. Hey, Rick, we got one more question for you, and this one's going to be a little bit, I don't want to say out of left field, but one of the reasons why I got you, we got you on, we're so interested, is um, I really like your when you talk about zeros in education and the detrimental effect of zeros, because as much, if not more than anything, in terms of grading practices, um, the, the ease at which some, some professionals can give out zeros, I find really alarming. So can you maybe talk about a little bit about, you know, why zeros aren't okay? Because I think the common argument is, hey, you know, at some point these kids got to learn cause and effect. They got to learn responsibility. If you didn't do it. They have to know how it feels to fail. You got to know how it feels to fail in order to kind of get that gumption to stand up and, and try again. So can you, I guess, just talk a little bit and address some of those those points that are are fairly commonly held. Sure. I got to tell you, though, um, to those that are concerned, they have to know how it feels to fail and learn consequences and all that. There is nothing, not one thing in any of the impetus that people are, are starting in their school districts that says we're taking away the experience of failure by simply making a zero turned into a 50, a 60, or 59 or a 70, whatever it might be. They're absolutely getting the indicator failure every time. What we're deciding to do is is it recoverable failure that actually creates hope? And that's the difference. Are you a, such an extraordinary failure that there's no hope of recovery? Or are you, yes, you have a failure, but we're equalizing the interval if a school district is still stuck averaging, which is an antiquated notion, by the way. <laughs> so most schools that get into the modern grading ethical practices of grading stop averaging as fast as they possibly can. But the zero has such a Ooh. skewing factor because you have a 10-point or 11-point interval for the A and a 10-point interval for the B, C, and the D, but you have 59 or 60 or 65-point interval for the F. So we're saying, look, make it an F. Like, I've I got to tell you, uh, as I've said in some of the videos I've done on YouTube, kids don't brag about this. You know, look at me. I didn't do anything at all, and I got a, a 59, <laughs> you know, on my, on my essay. What they're saying is, look at me. I didn't do anything at all, and I still failed. I mean, the kids get it before the adults yeah. in their lives get it. Absolutely. And the other thing is that when we ask teachers, well, we're going to apply the same exact philosophies to you, 
in your evaluation, Ooh. they screen bloody murder. And they, you can't do that. And they, exactly. The principles are universal. If you would not tolerate it applied to you, then what makes you think it's okay to apply it to these, these kids when you know it's actually a false statement? Yeah, the other thing to realize is that, you know, in the working world, nobody gets the zeros of any sort. And the brain is innately a survival organ. So it's going to self-protect in terms of ego and save face and save honor. And if a kid, you know, gets one zero and it requires six or seven perfect hundreds in a row just to have the average come up to a D you know, level performance. And if a child gets a zero on something, chances are he already is, is something so wrong in his life. He's not going to get straight six hundreds in a row, but he's not, he's going to give up. And what we do is we're in middle school in particular, we're there to engender hope. And if we make a kid want to throw in the ball and go home, he won't invest in his learning and he'll turn away. Absolutely. So, so if a kid gets a zero, we have to make it a recoverable zero. It doesn't mean it's anything less than a complete zero in a sense. But what we simply do is we change the scale. I mean, if you think about it, you could use 50-point scale, and then you're totally fine yeah. using a zero if you needed to. Because, you know, every 10 points, it's an A, a B, a C, and a D, you know, and, and, or an F or E. And then when you average, it comes out to the same mathematical interval influence. But not so much when you use the 100-point scale. Yeah. The other thing that most people do when they get to standards-based grading is they drop the 100-point scale. Too many teachers are hiding behind the math to find their grading justifications or credibility, and I think we use the 100-point scale simply because the math is so darn easy. <laughs> and we, we, we have got to crawl out from underneath that rock and realize that we're going to analyze student products against evidence of the standard, evaluative criteria, not boil it down to a mathematical calculation that statistically – could be arbitrarily manipulated in really any direction we want. All right, Rick, thank you so much. Uh, can you tell our audience uh, what you've written recently, what you'd like them to read, where they can find you, how they can get in touch with you? All of those yeah, things. You have yeah. to do that right now. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> well, I hope you have at least you know 30 minutes for me to listen. Yeah, we got another 30. <laughs> Go ahead. No, no. Here, here's the deal. Uh, I've got a new version of Fair Isn't Always Equal, the second edition. It's 11 years later. Classic, Coming yes. out the end of March. And that's from Stenhouse Publishers. So you're welcome to go to stenhouse.com, S-T-E-N, house.com. Okay. And look that up. And I've been tweeting about it. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, because we have lots of conversations about these things, it's just my full name spelled out with a two on the end. So that's at R-I-C-K-W-O-R-M-E-L-I. And then there's rickwarmly.com. So just spell out the name and add .com. And there's lots of places there where you can email me if you'd like. And, you know, the email address, if you want it, is just a first initial and last name, rwarmly at cox, C-O-X, dot net. Uh, and then I, I've got articles in Ed Leadership. Um, the, one of my last books was The Collected Writings So Far, Rick Warmly, Crazy right. Good Stuff I Learned About Teaching Along the Way. And that's a whole bunch of articles I updated in a, on a variety of topics. I don't just talk about standards-based assessment sure. grading. There's, there's more to teaching than just that. Right? <laughs> All right, Rick. Well, one of the things that jumped out to me during the interview, um, and we certainly appreciate it as we know our audience does, is how you've referenced um, how this work is, is good for kids as they go forward, not, not looking behind at what they haven't been able to do, but what we're trying to contribute to their futures. Yep. So. Thank you so much. Uh, we are so psyched to have had you on. And um, on behalf of the boys, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Can I just say how grateful I am to know that Ed's not dead? Uh, it is not. <laughs> we'll be back in two weeks. All right. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Rick. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, that was an awesome interview. Yeah. Thanks again to Rick Wormley for joining us. Uh, and Mr. Krabs, we have a new feature tonight. Actually, it's not tonight, but it's coming soon, <laughs> which is um, we're going to have extra content, extra interview content from our discussion with Rick that as soon as Andrew Vines gets his act together and gets our <laughs> website totally functioning, we love you, Andrew, but hurry it up. Uh, we're going to be posting extra content from like our interview with Rick and others on Ed's Not Dead. Yeah, sometimes you, you just can't cover everything in the format that we have. 
Um, yeah, so we had a great conversation with Rick, and uh, there's even more to it where we really cover all the bases. So check out edsnotdead.com. All right. Okay. So this is the time of the show where we play stupid games. <laughs> and we were going to use stupid games to talk about uh, Betsy DeVos, but uh, she's stupid. I think, I think it was funny. When we were talking about this segment, we talked about an article from Jay Matthews. We talked about Betsy DeVos. We talked about lots of stuff. And then Crable says, let's just play a stupid game. <laughs> Because we we're good at that. Let's go low bar. Okay, yeah. low bar. So, and the person that leads us through st- stupid games <laughs> is Mister Siddons. Go ahead, Mister Siddons. All right, you ready? <laughs> I have some. I have you. some trivia for you. Okay. This is higher education trivia, so right. it might be a little too smart for you too. <laughs> dopes. Mister th- Patterson would say you dopes. When when, when, when Rick Wormley kept talking about zeros, I kept thinking about <laughs> oh Rick Wormley. Sorry, sorry. Uh, I. <laughs> I kept thinking about us being zeros. <laughs> Why? Because it was like if you're, you know, if you get a 50, that's really bad. But if you're like a zero, you're just. You're not existent. You're I, just as bad as can be. You're less than zero. I mean, we we used to remember, I, maybe you guys are too young, but you used to call people zeros. You're such a, he's such a zero. Uh, I no? have never heard no? that okay. before in my life. That would be a millennial. Are you a zero or are you a hero? Okay. All right, go ahead. Get us get us going here. What is the fastest growing degree jumping 92% in the last 10 years? I'm, I'm staring down, Mr. Crable. Communications. Oh, okay. that's a good guess. That's his guess. That's always been high in the. Uh, I would say the something in the biotech field. Oh wow! Ooh, smart answer. All right. Well, you're both very wrong. Mechanical engineering, park recreation, leisure, and fitness studies. Ah, from zero to a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That All is, right. That is a uh, what is the degree that went on a 10-year decline of 5%? Engineering. Psychology. Education. Ooh. Education. Well, that's we right. talked oh, about and, that before. Uh, I know. And that, that totally runs runs counter to your, your teacher shortage mantra that you're always talking about. What do you mean? No, it doesn't run a counter. De- it, actually, it actually – People, if you let me finish my what sentence. What did I say? Come on, man. Stop, being, t- a, stop being a zero. I'm totally yeah. out of it. Don't be I'm a totally zero. Okay. All right. I'll just listen. It doesn't run question. contrary. It actually runs parallel. Okay. And it supports my argument. All right. Uh, the What is the percent of undergraduates who attend one of the Ivy League schools? And it is not a full percent. 1.3%. It's not a full percent. Point uh, 0.3%. A third, uh, 0.3%. That's, that's right. Okay, this third. is getting harder. <laughs> harder. It's supposed to be getting easier. I would say 0.5%. Wow. Good guess is 0.4. Oh. Uh, but yet we place so much importance on the Ivy League schools for some reason. Robbie, you went to Ivy League, didn't you? I did. <laughs> um, it's the Ivy League of Maryland. It's the Harvard of Maryland. What's the... <laughs> What's the what's the percent okay, of full time? <laughs> what's the percent of full time undergrads who are twenty four or younger who work twenty hours or more a week? Okay, that there was a lot of text in that question. Read it one more time. What is the percent of full time undergraduate students who are twenty four or younger who work twenty more hours a week? Uh, I will say thirty percent. I would say. 18%. We're going for the middle again. 23% of full-time okay. undergrads right. work 20 hours or more a week. So about a quarter. Yeah. Okay. I had a job in college. What did you do? Did you cut down trees or something? No, that was after. Oh. I worked I worked in a deli. Oh, yeah? What was the deli? I have no idea. Oh. Yeah. I, I, I made student IDs. You got fired? Yeah. It's because I left town because there was allegedly a hurricane coming. <laughs> what? Yeah, I it was New Orleans, right? So there was hurricanes coming, and you sometimes leave. people would leave, sometimes they wouldn't leave. So this particular time, I left. You're a big chicken, and well, it was more like to go somewhere else and party. <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> he was it on was, a four day work week. Yeah, it so, wasn't like yeah. you know. Um, and I'm pretty sure I didn't call and let them know. Oh, that I, oh. Yeah. That's a killer. Yeah, that's so a killer. What was your job in college? Uh, that would be. I was a lifeguard. Oh man, it's <laughs> the greatest job ever. I made student IDs. I did have a job that I did kind of pull what Mr. Crable pulled, um, but my father had some involvement with that job, so he actually came to the beach and got me and took me home, (laughs) so so I wouldn't get fired. That was really embarrassing. Okay, anyway, go ahead. Next question. 
During a 10-year span ending in 29, so 2009 for you laymen over there, uh, the undergraduate enrollment has jumped 38%. What are the states where enrollment has grown that much? There are three states. What's the percentage again? Uh, enrollment, undergraduate enrollment has jumped 38%. And, wh- and where are the states? The that- highest growth occurring in these three, uh, sorry, four states. Four states. Crabes, you name two and I'll name two. California and Texas. That's where all the textbooks come from. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say um, Florida. That was my next guess. And New York. Wow. Florida, 54% is one of them. Okay. Next up, West Virginia at 56% increase. Despite the death of coal. Yeah. Georgia, increase of 77%. And yeah. Arizona oh. at 149% increase. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's interesting. Yeah. So, well, thank you for indulging me in those. <laughs> is is that it? Stupid. I have more if you want. Yeah, give us, give us, come on. Oh, you want one more? That was a lame ending. It was like four questions. Really? Lame ending? I will punch you because you're right next to me. Uh, Between 1999 and 2009, undergraduate enrollment at four profit schools soared this amount of percent. A lot. Compared with 32% for public institutions. I would say 975%. Okay. Um, 75%. This is the, this, this is the, Heart of for profit screwing over kids. That's right, and it's going to continue happening. Colleges, dear Betsy, five hundred and thirty nine percent increase. Grable was a lot closer than me. Yeah, I knew it was astronomical, Shh, whatever yeah. it was. What, I, what, I didn't know percents what? go above a hundred. And what, what I wasn't sure about that. <laughs> it doesn't. They shouldn't go below uh, fifty. They, they shouldn't. That's they true. Should not. That's true. Uh, what 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 spurred that? Was there some deregulation boom in that sweet spot of ten years? No, I think some just. Followers, somebody did it, and everybody else was like, "Wow, you can do this!" And there's no. What about online learning? Okay, oh, that's true yeah. too. You know, yeah. the accessibility of high speed. So let, so let me. Oh, look at you, Mister Sids. Yeah. Can I? So let me ask a question. I'm not well versed on for profit colleges. Name one that I would know. A big one. Mm. Phoenix. I was going to say University of Phoenix. Yep, yeah. University. Okay. Of I'm not Phoenix. sure if Devry is one. Yep. Or not. Okay. I think Devry. University is one. Phoenix is massive, and they are expensive. Yeah. It's not cheap. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm. All right. Last one. Oh, one more. All right. Uh, what's the largest state university in the country? Ooh, that's a good one. A good one to end on. I'm going to say, Mr. Graves, you got to go first. <laughs> I'm going to say I need you to, go I, first. I need to think. I need to think. I need to think. Uh, I'll go again with California, just because it's a big state. <laughs> it's, it's a big state. <laughs> no, I thought it was the what. Is the largest University of California, system. University of California system, the UC system. Yes, um, I'm going to say the University of Michigan. Wow, Arizona State ah, University ooh. in Tempe, Tempe. Tempe, Tempe. Tempe. Oh, I have one more one. actually. All right, yeah, one more. Can I do one more? Yeah, sure. Twenty percent of all time or all first time undergraduates have to do what? Take a basic course. Take remedial something. Take remedial writing. You're Composition. Bo- both correct. Composition. They have to take at least one remedial course. 20%. Yeah. Is composition in there? Do it they, just says take say... one remedial course. Okay. But it's right. probably composition or math. <laughs> 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 all right. All right. So what? what is the largest state university in the country? I'm sorry. I had to go serious. I went so serial on that one. All right. All right. That's all I got for you. Okay. Thanks, guys. All right. Okay. That was good. That was good. That was the latest stupid game installment. We will come back to, hopefully we'll have something a little bit more compelling with Dear Betsy in episode 14. Boys, how many episodes left until the grand finale of season one? Four? What are we, what are we, you do math. No, what are we going to? Are we doing eighteen? Wow. Well, I can't do math. No. We're doing. We're supposed to do nineteen, but okay. that makes my that just. I don't like that. I think we need to go to a solid twenty. Right, we're doing six to seven more shows. <laughs> that, now, the, the thing that can gets, I just tell you that is not happening. Can I finish? I'm not spending any more that much time with you guys. In well, case he screws up the calendar all the time, yes. we're recording tonight because. Just get over it. Build the bridge. Everything. Build the bridge and get over it. Mr. Mr. Grable, I do want you. So the audience needs to hear this. Yes. The first person that had to reschedule and Ed's not dead recording session was who? That was that you. was me. Yeah. Who 
gave you the, the death in a text. voodoo doll. Okay. Yeah, that was how, how Both <laughs> of us. Both of us did. How e- Oh, these, Let's look at the text. These look dates the text. are sacred. You can't mess not, with these. I did not say that word. How did That's I, ridiculous. How did I handle last week when he sprung it on us that we could not Robin, yes. you were so gracious. I was good. <laughs> you really <laughs> were. Sucker. That's because you did it before. Okay, we're all on an equal level now. All I was, right. I was impressed by your magnanimity. <laughs> I, was, I was like, no worries, Mr. Siddons. It's okay. You've <laughs> never said that before. <laughs> all right. Um, we've been talking so long that my computer timed out. Okay. Uh, well, first of all, thanks to Rick Wormley. It was great to have him on the show tonight. Um, and uh, we are going to <laughs> help me out here, Mr. Cravel. I think that's it. Yeah. yeah. Did we have anybody else on? No. Okay. <laughs> Just I can't even remember. Dragging it out. It Thank you so much a- for listening. We appreciate you very much. Okay. I, Listen I, to us on Ed's Not Dead PC for Twitter. We have a blog now. It's on the website. It's on the it's on the YouTube's. Check us out. Check us out on Facebook too. Thanks folks for tuning in to Ed's Not Dead. We'll catch you next time. Later. Bye. Bye.